0: Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand
1: for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com.
2: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer-founded, queer-run, and creating size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies, so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Ready? Okay.
3: Give
4: me a beach. Beach!
0: Hello, and welcome to Savor. I'm Annie Reese, And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum, and today we're talking about Tetrazzini. Yep, Tetrazzini, the food. Right, not uh, the opera singer. Well, I mean, a little bit about of. the opera singer.
1: This is another in a long line of me pitching Lauren ideas and Lauren being like, okay, because she's a great co-host. <laughs> 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 but this is like a Christmas tradition of mine. Um, when I was younger, my mom would use up uh, leftover turkey to make this dish that we called turkey tetrazzini, and, you know, I, I just got kind of curious, and here we are.
0: I, I don't think I've ever had it. <gasps> that's a first!
1: <laughs> Usually I'm the one that's like, I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, but, but strangely enough, my dad used to make for Christmas dinner a non-casserole dish that is almost identical in terms of ingredients, uh, chicken marsala, which is a chicken dish with a wine mushroom cream sauce served over pasta. Yeah, yeah, very so, similar. weird.
1: Mysteries. <laughs> and we have a lot of mysteries in this episode. But first, we have our question. Yes. Tetrazzini.
0: What is it? mm <laughs> You're you're the one who's had it. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Tetrazzini is a casserole made with noodles, vegetables, and a protein in a creamy sauce. Uh, the vegetables are often mushrooms, which I know aren't technically a vegetable, but roll with me here. Uh, onion, garlic, green peas, and or bell peppers. The protein is almost always pre cooked poultry or fish, like a salmon or tuna. The sauce is often flavored with sherry or white wine, and the uh, casserole is often sprinkled with cheese and or breadcrumbs that brown up in the oven. The result is hypothetically uh, rich and comforting, a little salty, fairly simple. In my experience, not hypothetically. Very wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like many casseroles, the flexibility of the ingredients and the potential to use up leftovers, the capacity to size it up, uh, the pleasure of the fat and the carbs, makes it a popular family meal and a potluck dish in the United States. HowStuffWorks.com even has a recipe for it on their website. Really? Because at some point, while we were owned by Discovery Corporation, we started publishing recipes. Huh. I don't know either.
1: I think you know people like a good recipe, and we were just throwing things (laughs) at the wall, kind of like you do when you're making a casserole. Ooh, or how you test if spaghetti is ready.
0: I, I've never done that. What?
1: (laughs) I I told you, I even had a whole song "Spaghetti Is Ready When It Sticks to the Wall" that I made when I was young. But (laughs) no one else. You just—it was fun. You get to throw the noodles at the wall and see if it (laughs) sticks.
0: Oh no! <laughs> what if I completely made it up? <laughs> no, no, no! I know that that's a thing. That I, I know that it's like a saying. Okay, 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 good. And from from what I understand, uh, folks do kind of run with the ingredients. Uh, I guess Mississippi versions uh, sometimes include canned tomatoes and chilies. You can put any number of cheeses, from Parmesan to cheddar, on there. Uh, some recipes French up the sauce a little bit more by adding some grated nutmeg.
1: Yeah, and um, for those that watch our social medias. A while ago, we posted a video of um, us trying those sandwiches with pickles and cheese and peanut butter. Um, So, I had this leftover Velveeta cheese. Oh, uh uh-huh. And I was trying to figure out what to do with it. And I found a recipe for cowboy casserole, which is a, a very Americanized, like, 50s version of this Tetrazzini. And I made it. For our D&D campaign. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That was delicious.
1: (laughs) It was good. I was looking at the ingredients list kind of suspect, (laughs) Uh, but I wanted to use up the Velveeta cheese, and it it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Much acclaim. Much acclaim. What about the nutrition?
0: Uh, um, Obviously, it depends on exactly what you put in it, but most versions of this dish are pretty heavy. Uh, You know, it's high calorie from the butter and the cream does have a pretty good dose of protein, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
1: Um, And it's pretty well-loved. I am not the only one (laughs) singing the praises of Tetrazzini. If you take this quote from the New York Times, Chicken Tetrazzini, the casserole even snobs love. Or this one from the Ann Arbor News, Chicken Tetrazzini are how I stopped worrying and learned to love the mess. Aw. I love when people just deconstruct a food and then... Make a metaphor out of it and, (laughs) like, live their lives by something they learned from a food dish. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Food does have that power. It does. It does. (laughs) It has the power to bring us to silence and a complete
3: standstill. Oh, man.
0: Actually, that is absolutely true. (laughs) That is true. we have I've witnessed both of us on many separate occasions come to a literal and figurative standstill because of some kind of food. Yeah, it does happen.
1: And the history of this has happened. That's how we got it to this day, this Tetrazzini dish. But before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break for a word
0: from our sponsor. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste
1: or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com.
2: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you.
0: This is a good one. It's pretty fun. It is. It is. I I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed this. Um, it's maybe a little bit shorter than many of our history
1: sections. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but
1: I would say we're focusing on Tetrazini here. I'm sure if we followed it back and back and back, that the history would be much longer. Kind of Narrowing yeah, in. we're
0: focusing in a, a little bit of background, though. Uh, the casserole uh, as a type of dish, uh, one baked in a single deep pan, goes back hundreds of years. You know, everything from uh, cassoulet to moussaka to lasagna counts. The term Casserole originally referred to the pan itself, going back to 1706, but has expanded to mean dishes cooked in the pan as well by 1889. The late 1800s was sort of a perfect storm for casseroles in America. Uh, potteries were creating new lines of ceramic dishes that were higher quality, and simultaneously, oven technology was getting more affordable, so more households uh, had ovens. But back to Tetrazini.
1: Let's set the scene. Okay. When? 1909. Or
0: 1904, or 1908, or 1910, or 1911.
1: Somewhere in there. Where? San Francisco. Or New York. <laughs> One of those, maybe. <laughs> Who? Luisa Tetrazzini. And if you didn't know, because I didn't know, uh, Tetrazzini was a very popular opera singer, a soprano.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In the New York timeline of events... The head chef of the Del Monaco Hotel, Nicholas Sabatini, came up with the Tetrazzini for Luisa Tetrazzini and her sister, Eva, another soprano opera singer. So he's like, I love these two. I'm going to come up with a dish. Yeah. In another New York timeline, though, (laughs) Tetrazzini was invented at the Knickerbocker Hotel by Chef... Mr. Pavani, <laughs> his first name is Mister. Mister. <laughs> we all know how that goes. <laughs> um, to honor Luisa Tetrazzini's New York debut in 1908, performing Violetta in La Traviata. I don't really know much about opera, but...
0: It's a, <laughs> it's a popular one.
1: There's a Seinfeld joke that all, all of your knowledge of pop culture comes from uh, Looney Tunes cartoons, and that's pretty much true
0: oh, for me. Oh, yeah, goodness. There was a lot of opera involved. There was. Mm -hmm. Those were very memorable scenes. Adding slight credence to the Knickerbocker theory, uh, Tetrazzini was probably staying at the Knickerbocker during her run of the show. Many opera singers did at the time. Yet another version of this story credits French chef
1: Auguste Escafier with the recipe. In this version, he was trying to create a dish that would get a standing ovation like (laughs) Louisa Tetrazzini did after a performance. The recipe isn't in any
0: of his books, though. Meanwhile.
1: Meanwhile.
0: The San Francisco timeline. Right. A
1: chef, um, possibly Ernest Arbogast at a place called The Palace, was inspired to create a dish and name it after Luisa Tetrazzini. He or she, the chef, but let's be real, probably he mm-hmm. uh, whipped together a casserole of spaghetti, chicken, or turkey maybe, heavy cream, mushrooms, and parmesan with not one but two French sauces on top, chicken veloute and
0: hollandaise. People loved it. Of course they did.
1: I mean, it's like cheese, and yeah, pasta, and cream. It's cream.
0: <laughs> yeah. Louisa gave a number of memorable performances in San Francisco around the turn of the century. She was featured in newspapers there daily in 1904 during a run of a show. She returned in 1908 after her success in New York City and gave a outdoor concert on Christmas Eve in 1910 that was attended by a quarter of a million people. Ooh. Big times. Yeah. Yeah. James Beard supported the Arbogast version of this story. But, you know. The San Francisco timeline. Yeah. That was
1: certainly the one that, I found the most repetition of. I don't—that doesn't necessarily give it credence. <laughs> no. But it was—it's the one that seems to be most repeated as the origin story. Possibly because James Beard said it was the one. Yeah. <laughs> it is unclear as to whether Tetrazini the person, loved Tetrazzini, the dish, <laughs> yeah. or even if she ever tried it. She once said, quote, "'I like the plainest food, consoling myself with fruit and fresh vegetables.'" She didn't mention it in her biography either. I got to say, consoling myself with fruit and vegetables sounds sad. (laughs) Just the word (laughs) consoling. I love fruit and vegetables. Oh, sure. Maybe that was a different, had a different connotation back then. Maybe. Hmm. Anyway. uh, (laughs) Its first known appearance in print was in 1912's The Boston Cooking School Cookbook. It did not appear in 1911's The Sunday American Cookbook, which was a pamphlet of Tetrazzini, the person of her favorite recipes. If a dish was named after me or a sandwich, I'm going to go out of my way to try, I got to say, unless it's uh, made of my least favorite foods, which would be really rude. That would be
0: so rude, but also, I mean, you probably just shouldn't have said that. Like, now, <laughs> like, that's such a great, like, weird revenge thing.
1: Like- oh, it is. <laughs> it's really funny, too, because I think I've mentioned every one of my my five least favorite foods in passing, or definitely purposefully on this podcast. Mm -hmm. So if somebody really wanted to, it's out there. It is. (sighs) Bringing it back to Tetrazzini. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Please don't do that, anyone. Or if you do, I might applaud your creativity. Tetrazzini dishes were pretty common on New York menus by 1917, and my family wasn't the only one using leftover holiday turkey to make Tetrazzini. A Washington Post article published in 1936 said, The leftover turkey or chicken from New Year's dinner can be served today for luncheon or dinner in one of a number of many interesting disguises. The following (laughs) recipe for turkey tetrazzini is suggested as an attractive disguise for the leftover fowl if it is to be served for the dinner menu. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love disguise. An attractive disguise. <laughs> I would agree.
0: Yeah. Uh, and
1: chicken tessazzini used to be a nice dish. It was fancy. Vincent Price ordered it in a 1930s Manhattan dining room. I think it was in a hotel. All of these things took place in uh, hotels. <laughs> um, he and his wife even included a recipe for it in their cookbook, A Treasury of Great Recipes, in 1965.
0: Yeah, recipes through the 40s and 50s tended to include truffles. Truffles. Whew.
1: In 1959, chicken tetrazzini appeared on a White House luncheon menu when President Eisenhower and his wife hosted the president of the Council of Ministers of the Italian Republic. Yes. <laughs> chicken tetrazzini was
0: called an Italian dish. It's super not an Italian dish. no, no, no. No. <laughs> no. Uh, a recipe from 1967 going along with this fancy thing uh, called for the dish to be served with a green salad, a ripe pear, a slice of Fontina cheese, and a glass of dry orvieto. Wow. I mean, that does sound nice. I mean, right? I mean, <laughs> but anything served with a side of that sounds pretty okay. I mean, just that sounds pretty okay. That's
1: true. I'd be happy with any, like, give it, mix, mix and match any part of this assignment. <laughs> uh-huh. um, the assignment. The fanciness did go away, though.
0: It started to be called chicken spaghetti,
1: eventually, cowboy spaghetti, <laughs> apparently.
0: <laughs> By the late 1960s, brands like Chef Boyardee were selling packaged tetrazzini. In 1985, Betty Crocker brand uh, Tuna Helper tetrazzini debuted, which is apparently still quite popular. Huh. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so how did this changeover happen? Uh, Well, over the first few decades of the 20th century, the World Wars and the Great Depression made meals that could help us stretch ingredients to serve a lot of folks at a relatively low expense very popular. Um, Casseroles, even rich ones like Tetrazzini, check those boxes. And on the flip side, like especially dishes like Tetrazzini were popular because they incorporate starch and veg and protein in the same pot. You don't have to worry about timing sides and mains to come out at the same time. Simultaneously, uh, canning technology and rations on fresh foods made canned ingredients really common substitutes for fresh ones. Um, enter the whole condensed cream of mushroom soup thing. Um, it can be used as a cream base instead of going to the bother and of like making a roux and adding real cream and milk and butter. Canned vegetables and protein might be substituted for fresh, and this is where Tetrazini got less fancy. Though... Keep in mind that uh, during the middle of the 20th century, in some places in America, the technology and the frugality of these canned products was considered fancy in in its own way. Like it was modern and uh, patriotic. Right. And looking
1: at the recipes for this, uh, my mom definitely didn't do the whole heavy cream sherry thing, which I saw in a lot of recipes. She used... Cream of mushroom and cream of chicken soup. So it was an easy and cheap thing. And before we recorded this, I meant to ask her, like, her history with it. Why did she oh. start cooking it? Um, and I imagine it has to do with saving time and money, but also she was somebody who was kind of always flipping through cookbooks. Uh-huh. And maybe she just saw the recipe. But I, I'll, I'm going to ask because it's about to be that Christmas time of year where you go yeah. home um, No, I'll report
0: back. I'm curious, personally. Yeah, please do. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, a side note, uh, in some parts of the northern Midwest, this kind of casserole made with starch and uh, canned or frozen ingredients and a a soup base is called a hot dish. Hot dish. I hadn't hadn't heard of that before. I hadn't either. Yeah, but I love it. I do too. Straightforward, to the point. Hot dish. It is.
1: I also kind of like things like frito pie or spaghetti pie. Oh yeah, where I feel like you could make a chicken tetrazzini pie.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, why not?
1: Oh man, I do. I do have a craving now.
0: <laughs> I would love a casserole. I, they're they're so comforting and warm, and you. I I love them because you can make them in in huge batches, and uh, yeah, and then you know, squirrel away little portions for for later.
1: And if we want to expand it out, it's like. A melting pot in a dish. Oh, thank you for pretending that was very wise. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm a
0: poet. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's our that's our Tetrazini episode. We do have a little bit more for you, uh, but first, we've got a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And with new Pronamel Repair Mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy
1: toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com.
2: Happy Pride from TomboyX. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer-founded, queer-run, and creating size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
3: and we're back thank you sponsor
0: yes thank you
1: and we're back with to we could have been opera singers definitely in a very off off opera singer <laughs> I don't know if there's like an opera version of off Broadway <laughs> that's where we'd be
0: oh yeah oh yeah we'd be we'd be scrappy <laughs> yeah. we'd pay people to come in <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bart wrote about our fruitcake episode. Here in Ireland, what you call fruitcake, we call Christmas cake, and it's a really big deal. Every family matriarch has their own unique recipe, which is guarded as if it were the philosopher's stone. And the making of the Christmas cake is a very important part of the extended Christmas rituals and traditions. While I've lived in Ireland since I was four years old, I'm not Irish, but Belgian. For my entire childhood, we would spend the holiday season staying with my grandparents in Belgium. And one year, shortly before heading to Belgium, we won a massive Christmas cake in a charity raffle. We couldn't let it go to waste, and we wanted to share this Irish tradition with our Belgian family. So we brought it with us and shared it around. Granddad was determined to enjoy this Irish treat, but he hates fruit (laughs) in cakes. He tried and quite amazingly succeeded <laughs> in removing every piece of fruit from his slice, leaving what can only be described as the Swiss cheese of cake. You see, the Irish recipes use a lot of fruit. I'd estimate that about half of an Irish Christmas cake is fruit. He absolutely insisted it was delicious, but that a second slice would be a little bit too much effort. <laughs> I agree. That, that's impressive. That is. Oh, that's... <laughs> I love it though. I I love the determination. Right. I'm going to try this thing. I don't like this part of it. So, so even though it's It's half of it, yes, excavating.
3: (laughs)
0: Uh, Liana wrote about our chewing gum episode. When you guys were talking about how expensive it is for cities to remove gum from public structures, I kept waiting to hear about the Seattle gum wall. It is somehow always in the news and always has some sort of punny headline, but it always seems to blow up in their faces. We see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm proud to say that I've contributed to that gum monstrosity. I also thought I'd mention that when I travel, I make a point to try out international brands of chewing gum. In that way, I discovered that the U.S. and New Zealand Eclipse gum are not on the same level. Kiwi Eclipse, uh, not the fruit, the people, is way stronger. I love it and stock up every time I go down under.
1: I haven't really tried gum outside of the U.S., I didn't, I didn't think about that. But I, I do love that kind of stuff where they, like, Coke is sweeter in certain countries yeah. and less sweet in other countries. And the Seattle gum wall, um, I actually remember specifically when I was doing the research making a, uh, because if you listen to that episode, you know, I, I really got into it. Yeah. I made a note like, stop. <laughs> You have got to stop. It's um, too much. <laughs> you'll be here forever. You have over gummed. <laughs> it's true. I was like, I remember Thanksgiving morning, I was researching gum uh, while doing, like, in between cooking stuff. Uh-huh. And I think, I can't even remember, <laughs> we might have already done the episode. And I was just still, like, <laughs> doing research. Yeah. I really got into that episode. But oh, it man. is, a, it's... um a fascinating thing, the Seattle Gum Wall. People have written in about other things that they do in their city or on their campus as well. Humans are, where we uh, we make our own fun. We do. We're an interesting bunch. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very true. It is. Well, thanks to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Please let us know what you do with your leftovers, (laughs) Tetrazzini or otherwise. Uh, Our email is hello at saverpod.com.
0: We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. We do hope to hear from you. Thank you, as always, to our super producer, Dylan Fagan. Thank you to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way.
2: Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it.